Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of the Stolen Science Podcast. I am Kendall Gilmet here with Harry Pavlidis. Hello, Harry. Hello. We are going to be talking about Pakoda today with Rob McEwen and Jonathan Judge, who are the purveyors, brains behind, keepers of Pakoda, curators, curators, I yeah. think is the word. All of I those like things. So we're going to be talking with them about um, Pakoda and how it's built and what what's new mm-hmm. this year and uh, all those different types of things. And what we want to do next. So some interesting stuff. It gets very technical and statty, uh, you know, at some points, um, which is really cool. But I know some people are going to buy it, you know, but yeah. worth, it's worth plowing through those, those segments. But Jonathan is giving uh, a, a very there's points where Jonathan gives a fascinating and detailed explanation of some statistical techniques and processes that I think are extremely illuminating. So even if you're not understanding all the words he's using, like I, 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 I'm raising my hand right now. Um, but uh, you will, if you just follow the process and the thinking and it's really, it's really kind of cool and kind of, you know, talk about the limitations of Pakoda and what, what types of limitations we want to address. Uh, at one point, I basically turned it into a status meeting. <laughs> How's this project going? When do you think we can deliver this? Uh, but, you know, that, that that's part of this night's podcast as well, because I'm actually kind of like learning about Pakoda every day, but also trying to see what Jonathan and Rob had in store next. So we kind of all get to find out uh, together what's coming. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. So that is coming up um, after the break, but we can be reached on Twitter at stolen underscore signs on Twitter and then via email stolen underscore signs at baseballperspectus.com. We are on iTunes. We are on Stitcher, I think. We are on TuneIn Radio. We are in the Google Play Store. We're all over the place. Um, but. <laughs> I don't know if you can rate or review on any of those other ones, but I know you can on iTunes. So please rate and review us on iTunes. And um, we will be right back with Jonathan Judge and Rob McEwen talking Pakoda. Stick around. Left there in the hurry. Looking forward to my big surprise. The next day I discover. Hello. Hi, Jonathan. Dun, dun, dun. Did you ever go by JJ, Jonathan? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> it's just what you're showing up in Skype, so. That's dynamite. <laughs> it's a natural abbreviation, I suppose. It's short. It is. I have a friend who's a, his name is Jared, and he has a son named Jared Jr., and he goes by JJ. Mm-hmm. A lot of parents intentionally do that. DJ, AJ, JJ, TJ, MJ, JJ, RJ. Mm-hmm. Then Trey. What's Trey? Someone for that, the should third? Be, there should be like, that's three, yeah. yeah. So I someone should do like, you know, 
Raymond the third. Ray Trey. Ray Trey. Okay. Now, everybody just trays like when you just want to hide the name even further, get rid of the initials. You know, you don't even know that the, the first name starts with a J anymore. Just Trey. Don't know the actual. So anybody named Trey, it's usually, you know, it's a lie. And then there's like Ray J, who is a hip hop artist or an R and B artist. Yes, who's, you know, I'm makes sure. famous tapes with Kim Kardashian. That, yeah, I was gonna say his. That's not his claim to fame. <laughs> Sadly. So Jonathan, tell us about hip hop. <laughs> I, I really can't. Just unclear. We're we're here to talk about Eric Thames's truck tonight, right? Right. Well, it's his truck talk. Okay. Good. All right. So we do have uh, things to talk about. Something right. about baseball, I think. All right. I think we're talking about baseball and hip hop. Yes. Right. The hip hop influence on baseball projections. That's what it was. Wow. All with your premium subscription. That's right. <laughs> J mixed model. <laughs> <laughs> all right wow so, uh, <laughs> we should just keep all this, this is absolutely good. yeah this we're rolling content. um so pakoda came out last week right and so jonathan judge and rob McEwen were mostly responsible for that happening all your complaints can go to them uh but it's out and it's available and we're going to tell you about it uh, Rob and Jonathan, thank you for joining us. Um, and thank you for all of your work on Pakoda. Many, many people clamor for it when it comes <laughs> out to see how mad they're going to get about how bad or too good or overrated their team is going to be. So, um, yeah. I, I, I think that's gotten better, though. Like People, instead of saying getting angry about us always having the Royals bad. It just, you know, as expected, people are now like just have kind of accepted that Pakoda doesn't like the Royals, despite being named for a Royals, <laughs> Royals <laughs> legend. Um, you know, it's and, funny. That so, the, um, and that it seems to be and that Pakoda seems to be the best part of the Rays season every year uh, yes. as of late. <laughs> it's all downhill from there. Yeah. Um, Start at the top. Down. <laughs> I must say this is this is the first season I can ever remember where I, I'm sure a lot of them have been fended off, but I didn't get a single team win loss record complaint back to me yet. They haven't come to me either. Stay tuned, Rob. I'm sure. I mean, we just get out. like yeah. I mean, we should just get slammed on it. Like just you know, articles written about how bad the code is and how computers are just terrible. You know, it's like, but the Luddites seem to have gotten a little quieter, I guess. And just, and, and I think maybe, maybe people become more educated about what p- projections are and what they aren't and the value of having multiple systems. But also we've made changes. Well, yeah. I was going to ask. Yeah. What, what, yeah. What's changed since then? How, like over the, over time, how, uh, how's Bakota gotten better or changed? Anyone? So I'd say the vast majority of things are, are squarely in Jonathan's camp here. He's done great work on the pitching side of this. Yeah, I would say most of the changes have been on the pitching side. Um, I don't think we've really touched the batting side. Um, I think in large well, part that's we, because we, well we did some defense with catcher defense, especially. That's true. That's, that's true. a bigger so catcher one. defense and framing went in there, and that's kind of important and blocking and things like that. So we definitely take that into account now. 
Um, but I'd have to say by far the most tinkering has been on the pitching side and that a lot of those innovations haven't gone to the batting side in part because we need to have at least one non-moving part at any given <laughs> time. Um, but yeah, so the p- pitching has been a major, major point of emphasis. It's been a major point of emphasis for the site. And um, I, I will say we didn't set out um, to completely rework the the pitching, but as usually happens, um, uh, there, there was tinkering, and then there were questions, and then there was there was wondering, and then next thing you know, you're a couple hundred hours into wondering if you can do this a different way, and now we have our our new Pakoda pitching <laughs> Yes. So, <laughs> what are the well, basically it's changed? Yeah, I mean it's not the same, but a lot of it, some of it's the, is anything. Wait, is anything the same? I mean, let's yeah, go through all the building I mean, blocks. So the building, the primary, I mean, I would say, and I will say there are still some parts of Pakoda that are are a little mysterious to me on the back end of it, Or, but essentially the, the hard part, as I would say it, is building the so-called neutralized projection, because that's where a lot of the, the thinking happens um, in terms of, okay, who is this player? You know, okay, this player did this in this level. What does that mean? Um, this player didn't play for a year. What does that mean? Um, uh, you know, all of the actual, what sort of player do we think this person is sort of happens in the course of putting together that sort of neutralized projection, the projection that doesn't care about where you're playing next year or anything else. It's just, who are you, uh, on balance, um, at a neutral park in a neutral place. And that part, that process all the way up until generating the neutralized projection, um, is completely new. Um, in all respects, from the ground up. Um, now, once we generate those neutralized projections, and the neutralized projections were what we were pitching projections, were what we were benchmarking against the, the leading brands, um, then there's a further process uh, when we would then turn and, you know, then apply, you know, the park factors and what team are you playing for and some of the, some of the uh, you know, other aspects that sort of, bring it out of La La Land and back into, okay, this is your actual team and this is your stadium mix and this is this is what we can expect from that. But so you're, t- you're talking about neutralizing everything from like the, the MLB process of like taking, so it's actually multiple steps depending on, you know, the Major League Baseball talking about neutralizing everything back to neutral park, neutral environment, everything, right? Correct. And then in the minor leagues, that's a, and then in the minor leagues, that's a much more complicated process. Much more complicated process, and and the I would say the the thing about our process was that we completely tossed out the sort of traditional Marcel's framework, which has sort of existed forever um, and works reasonably well. But it you know you look at other projection systems and you can tell that it, it sort of lives on, like it's a it's a sort of ongoing framework, and everything is sort of tweaks to that. That system and and so you know we just didn't do that. It was sort of start completely from scratch and you know how do you put together a, a major league equivalent to uh, whatever your league was? I mean that 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 turned out to be kind of tricky. And mm-hmm. how do you shrink or regress things to the mean? And when do you do that? Do you do that before you do your equivalencies or do you do it after? And um, and then we put together our models and the actual models. Um, were uh, all put together in Stan, which I'm probably most proud of. Um, Stan is the uh, 
uh, sort of new open source um, Bayesian uh, probabilistic programming language out of Columbia, and it is really a great engine for generating uncertainty and accounting for it. You know, we we'll generate it, but it, it tracks it naturally. So when we produce those quantiles of things, um, they're actual, you know, native quantiles. They're not us just after the fact saying, well, you know, a binomial distribution does this. Um, so everything is sort of much more integrated into an overall process. <laughs> and, um, and so it, it feels very kind of cohesive and, um, and, you know, in that process, what we found, and we can talk about each one of these, um, aspects individually, but I, I think at least for the models themselves, what I found interesting was that the sort of Marcel's assumption that you're going to always use three years of data, you know, you really shouldn't do that sometimes. Um, and sometimes the way that the aging curve applies, there are times when it, you know, it really ought to be an actual covariate and there are times when it shouldn't be and, and that matters and it affects how well it performs. And so the more you if you kind of start from scratch and just start playing with stuff, um, you you know, it isn't like your results ultimately come out to be something completely revolutionary and different at the end of the day, but you you really kind of step inside the process and see how it works. And that was uh, maddening uh, at times for me and certainly for, for Rob, um, but watching me flop <laughs> around at times. But it, at the same time, it's like, oh, you really get how this works as usual. You learn something by screwing it up 15 times, and then you know, that you know the 16th time you kind of get it. And so it's it, it's good to not only know that we're sort of using some powerful tools that are going to get the right answer more often than not, but also to have a sense of why they work the way that they do um, is kind of useful also because I think sometimes the process of generating projections is a little too mysterious for anyone's taste. Um, and doing something because so-and-so put it on their blog 10 years ago is not in and of itself a reason to keep doing anything. So it, it was certainly useful in, in, in doing that. Uh, so the, th that's a good summary of the front end of that process, but there's parts that stay the same, right? Where, and this is where I guess the streams merge because the, the hitting process and, and doing the MLEs, the neutralization that we've still, we're still using the same procedure which we have found has generally been, compared to the other brands, quite quite good. But as you alluded to, we want to improve the pitching. Can I? Yes. Can I pull us back? Just I have a question about something that yeah. you said, Jonathan. You're talking about um, kind of figuring out which thing to apply, and there are a lot of words in there that I didn't really understand. But um, <laughs> <laughs> you're talking about like you you kind of tinker around and then you apply something and, and see how that works. And then you apply something else. Are those things applied um, like universally or is it in some instance it it's applied to either some players or some subset of players or um, am I totally not understanding what you just talked about? Uh, well, you know, it might be a good one to explain. What yeah, is the, like, the no. inflection point on aging. I think this is one that you had to explain where we're, like at a certain point, like being on the, where you are in the aging curve doesn't matter. But if it's where you're kind of going past the the peak, right? Was was that not where it was like, okay, now it matters. We need to use that. It, so, it is. Um, uh, although I will say that I, I originally I I was leaving it out entirely, um, and then I realized that it actually um, it is typically helpful to have. The, I mean, the aging curve is something that I would I calculated separately and then put that in after the fact. 
as a covariate. Um, but there are times when it actually, um, I'm trying to figure out the best way to describe it. it. It's just interesting that there are different effects that it has in each component. Like sometimes the aging curve actually gets a, a new and additional multiplier on top of it. Um, in other words, aging curve makes a big deal more than even you thought until it actually starts looking at, okay, how did people of this age actually perform? And not just how did they perform on average, but how, you know, how did this do it historically? Um, and there are other models where, it, you know, the aging curve that you calculated is fine. And it, it just, you just kind of slip it in there and the model just says, nope, just give me the number you gave me. I won't do anything to it. And, and I, I guess throughout what we're doing primarily here is backfitting. We're going back to 2017 and I know, you know, back to 2017 at your peril, perhaps, given some of the interesting things that were going on um, home run wise and elsewhere. But um, but basically, that's what we're doing. We're constantly going back and saying, OK, what what was the connection? What was the connection? What was the connection? And we keep tuning it, um, using that as a guide, knowing that we don't know what the future is, but we know what the most recent past is. And if we are working off previous data for these same people, um, we can sort of get a sense of you know, at least for the time being, this seems to be the the relationship between what you do one year based on what you've done in the past combined with your environment. I think, Kendall, um, one thing about all of Pakoda, both the batters, the way pitchers used to be and the way pitchers are now is there really aren't any, like, specific cases where a certain set of players is, is separated out and having a different process applied to it. It's okay. generally the same process and, you know, mixed models, the things Jonathan does, you know, I don't understand them nearly as well as I probably should, but you know, the, the thing is it, it may sort of segregate things in the process, but generally speaking, you're applying the same, you know, set of mixed models to the entire you know group of players and you're getting the results out based on on that, not a, as opposed to well, you know, we've decided these fall into a certain group, so we're going to you know apply you know some system one to this and Got system it. two to another group of players. Yeah. But you know, and I think that keeps it sort of pure, if you will, and makes sure that you know we're not you know doing things ad hoc. I don't know if I explained that well enough yeah, no, for you, Jonathan, yeah. but. Makes That's sense correct. To me. I mean, we don't, we, we, right. We don't do any, um, you know, we don't go there, at least I don't, to my knowledge, we haven't gone to, you know, I, I certainly didn't go in there and say, well, you know, so-and-so is better than that. Let's give them what, a what are, Well, what are these um, three Brewers bullpen <laughs> patch one? Brewers bullpen patch two, three. What? What are those? Oh yeah, that's right. We did have the Brewers boost patch. Yeah, the Brewers. Oh, Brewers boost. Yeah. There, yeah. there was a there, there was a there was a, a kind of a fun patch at the end that did, right? Um, you know, was was kind of fun, um, and that did benefit Brewers relievers quite a bit. Yes. Um, but so which is which is interesting in and of itself, but um, that was still a systematic change. It was just something that I sort of realized. Admittedly, I realized sure, it like right. two days, yeah. two or three days before Pakoda Day, so that was not the best timing as far as various folks were concerned. Um, but you know, you you recognize by folks, he means Rob. Them. No, yeah. no, I had the author screaming at me, so it, was, it irritated them a lot more than me. I just had to listen to their screaming. Oh, well, that's, uh, that sounds fair. <laughs> But it works. It was important. Yeah, so it, it was, I, I think there was some good improvements in there. 
Yeah. It was it was very important. Uh, we were, yeah. I mean, the home run model was working really well in some ways, but uh, we, you know, there was a problem with the home run model, and and when you realize that it's 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 doing, you know, it's a little bit too proud of itself, and you have to bring it back down to earth a little bit. That's kind of what happened, and so we brought it back down to earth, and actually in the process made it even more accurate. And that does seem to be one area where I'm particularly proud of. Um, the sort of pitching achievements this year is that, you know, walk rate and and strikeout rate are there's just so much talent wrapped up in those results already that it's kind of hard to, especially if someone's been in the league in you know in any level of professional baseball for a few years, you're you're really going to see a lot of what they are in their results. Um, but obviously with home runs, we know that is no not very true, and so. And plus, home runs are so disproportionately valuable that if you really can start teasing out what's going on with home runs, you could really make a huge effing difference in yes, your accuracy. So, I mean, so it's a small improvement in that component is Correct. worth much more than any other small improvement we can make in strikeout understanding or walk understanding. You know, there, there's so much, so much opportunity. With home Correct. runs, because the variance is just there's a lot of variance. And there just, is. It's just more how you deal with it matters. Yeah. Yes. And variance is the opportunity in a way. That's the the it home is. run rate or the home run calculation is the one that got put in kind of late in the game. Is that right? Yeah. It it well it, it was originally there in a certain way, and um, I actually had uh, what's called a, a student a student um, distribution around it, which um, I would explain as saying it's a it's designed to be sort of robust and ignore outliers and it really sort of compresses the distribution a lot, um, which is nice because you're no longer overshooting anything and everyone is sort of kind of close to the middle. But the problem is, um, I realized like the weekend before Picota came out that it was sort of outsmarting itself and you had all these relievers, um, elite relievers, many of them Brewers relievers. Um, uh, that that's, that kind of is assumed, but there were plenty of other relievers, even your your um, Kimbrels and and others who were mysteriously, you know, basically being given home run rates close to almost one, you know, one home run per nine innings, which they don't do. Um, and if they did, they would not be elite relievers. And so, you know, I had to kind of sit down and figure out why. Why are we serially overestimating uh, this certain type of pitcher? And um, and so we thought about it, and then I kind of, you know, had what I think was insight because it it ended up making the results even more accurate. But it it solved the home run problem, and it kind of reminded me that there's kind of a lot of things that go into being a good reliever, and um, this particular one aspect of it was something that I really hadn't really heard anyone talk about before. And so kind of working through it a little bit and then putting it into the model and, and seeing it work was uh, sort of exciting. So part of this is that they just don't put the ball in play. Correct. So that's the thing. So it assumes that you have to shrink or regress their results a lot, but the fact that they don't put the ball in play tells you so actually tells you something about what does happen. Correct. <laughs> like they're hard to hit. So, <laughs> it is. And it's and it's interesting because, I, I you know, up until this time, I, I think we have always sort of tended to kind of write off, well, you know, so-and-so walks a ton of guys, but, you know, he strikes out a ton of guys. So, and I, and we all know that guys who can strike out a ton of guys, you know, they do okay. 
And if you're striking out, you know, 13 guys per nine or 14 guys per nine or whatever, who cares? It doesn't matter. None of this. You can walk five um, guys. That's right. Carlos Marmol. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, just just make that ball move. Um, and, and and that's kind of true. But the thing is, if you actually set up a model and sort of base it on those things alone, you 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 don't quite explain all the, the rest of the variance. Now, there's a lot of it you never explain, but like you end up with everybody having home run rates that are higher than these relievers actually have. And, uh, you know, how do you explain those fairly low home run rates? Um, you know, uh, Jared Cross, who does steamer and steamer, um, you know, steamer does a good job. And, uh, you know, St- Jared's been pretty adamant that he thinks it's about velocity and, um, you know, and that's true. These relievers do have high velocity and we've all seen the same curves that once you hit like 95 and start going up from there, I mean, your home run rate, or at least on those fastballs goes down a lot. Um, and, but I, it wasn't finding that was really helping very much. Um, just incorporating fastball velocity. It wasn't, it wasn't really helping. Um, and so what I found, what I, suddenly wondered about and you alluded to it earlier harry was um you know how often are you really getting the ball in play and that's obviously a function of these other things it's a function of how you strike out guys it's a function of that you walk a bunch of guys um but what it does is it just sort of reminds you that fundamentally it, it's kind of like that um that that meme with the guy who's like tapping his head you know smart i mean if if you're not putting the ball in play um, if you, basically you allow less than 60% of, um, the, your, uh, you know, at bat batting event at bats to actually put the ball in play, you've got, you, you don't give up home runs, um, it, it, because you just, they, they just don't have enough opportunities to hit home runs off of you. And when you, when you look at all of these super elite relievers who, who are kind of volatile, this is what, this is the thing. This is, it's like the other aspect of FIP that, you know, I don't think it's talked about enough, which is that, you know, people say, well, just just the, the BABIP, just just neutralize that out. Just don't pay attention to it. Well, a lot of these Ooh. people have really high BABIPs. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they they really do. You see these, the Kimbrels of the world, the Knables of the world, their BABIPs are over 300, 320, 330 all the time. And it's probably from all those, you know, high fastballs and everything else. Um, but, the, you know, so obviously you would think they'd be getting killed. But the, the thing is that since they... <laughs> allow fewer balls in play than anybody else by a very wide margin by a um, lot that's the thing it's all like it's 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 overwhelming <clears throat> they're almost three Correct. you know it, it's it's these guys just they they settle the issues by themselves so you can put guys on base and people just talk about you know, marmol's the classic example that he was he walked everyone he hit batters it was ridiculous but every everything else was a strikeout or a pop-up so it didn't matter. You could put guys on base all day long as long as you know he could stop himself from soloing four guys, <laughs> yes. pushing the run, runs around the base or throwing the you know the, the wild pitch at the wrong time. He basically could strike his way out. It was the marmal coaster, is what it was known as. And it, as soon as his strikeout rate went down to like a mundane eleven or something per nine, it was it was dead. He was in trouble. Like you have to just be this. There's a threshold where it works where it, your command doesn't matter or how, but also I think there's something else. I think it's not just that it's not just the opportunities. I think there it's, it's the types of pitchers who have that kind of stuff that makes them settle the at-bats themselves. 
are also guys who you're just not going to hit the ball hard when you do. Yep. So yep. I think it's um, it's 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 all these things, you know. Going back even more old school, Mitch Williams walked seven point seven point one BB nine. I'm looking at here, and he had a career ERA plus of one eleven. So you just made all the Phillies fans listening to this just cringe. <laughs> I pitched like my hair's on fire. Yeah. Anyway, Boy, he was something. But, he was yeah, so, he, he, but yeah, that guy was the same thing. It's like he just, you know, like he gave up some home runs in the World Series, unfortunately. So yeah, it's, so that's a pretty significant change. Like every was. that's like that's like guts getting right. That's guts out and all. It's all new, right? I mean, we're basically change the plumbing, change the wiring. Up, up, up until a certain point, though, and then it kind of goes into the standard pipeline, which I actually think is something we should explain because I don't, I don't think. You know, there, there's all these things about Pakoda that, you know, once you have these components established, which is a pretty complex, you know, process that you, we just talked about, then, then there's more, then it goes forward from there. And I think Rob knows more about that than anyone on Earth. So Correct. We should probably start with, you know, where we came from, because all this stuff is new and exciting, and it really is. And, you know, Jonathan was referring to the Marcel-based, you know, paradigm we had but it's Pakoda's always been way more conservative than that which frankly was sort of terrible for pitching and it's amazing that Pakoda pitching projections were as good as they were before Jonathan stepped in but the the flip side of that is it, it works pretty well for batters believe it or not that Pakoda looks at an even a much more conservative curve than than Marcel does and it looks at five years of past history so, I mean, you're taking MLEs from the minor leagues and you're taking, you know, past major league neutralized stats and you're, you know, Pakoda de- develops, comes out with what's a baseline. And people see all these Pakoda projections, they see things like breakout and, you know, attrition. And, and that's all based on the baseline. It compares the baseline of the past five years to other players with similar baselines and, you know, sees how frequently the the comparable ones have done things like improved a bunch or washed out. But for batters, this actually works pretty well. And more or less, you, all Pakoda does is it takes that baseline, applies an aging curve to it, and then applies, you know, this, that this, after this point is where, you know, we did an end around on the pitching projections. So after the aging curve is done, because Jonathan already took care of that with, with his projections. And if I, I look at the pitching projections now and I did develop a, a FIP and look at the FIP numbers for, you know, based on just the statistics that Jonathan's projecting, you know, they come out pretty close to the end result. So what goes on from here on out does impact things, but it doesn't, you know, isn't going to change, you know, a three and a half ERA pitcher into a four and a half ERA pitcher. And what does happen after this point is then the park factors do get applied, as as Jonathan referred to. Comparables get applied actually before that. So we find all the comparable players to each player in the set. And, you know, there's a a bit of a tweak on the, you know, quote, aging curve based on which players they were most comparable to. And the comparables are decided primarily on shape, not on size. So. 
we get a lot of that where, you know, why is my, you know, three ERA super ace being compared to, you know, some four and a half ERA journeyman. But, you know, if their their shape of statistics are, are similar, they, they do get compared. What does that mean, the, the shape versus I, the size? I'm sorry, yeah, like like a high strikeout rate for pitchers and, you know, low walk rate or, you know, just general. And, and for batters, they, you know, batters and pitchers, things like actual physical shape, you know, size, okay, yeah. height, weight. <laughs> um, for batters, different things are, are taken into account, like extra base hit percentage and et cetera. Just a, a variety of different factors. You can go back and some of it, much of it's actually inspired by original Nate Silver work, and then we've done some adjustments over the years on that. But, you know, when you look at the comparables, that they generally make sense, although, you know, there's always a few in there that people, you know, like I say, they raise their hand and say, oh, you know, why is this guy being compared to someone who's clearly, you know, has this is this always a weird one, but that's, that's there, part there, of the there are, there are a lot of factors in the stew. That's the, the main thing. And sometimes the, the more esoteric ones are, you know, make two guys more comparable than seems intuitive. But it's, so, it's kind of fun because that puts people down rabbit holes. And also, I can remember kind of around the time when I first joined BP, the, the issue had been that those were boring, that they were too, you know, it was always just, the pool was too small. It was, it was, everybody had the same kind of, there were a lot of repeats. So I remember you working especially, on this. Especially for the 18-year-olds. Yeah, right. You know, and I remember, you know, that. Hey, look, Bob and Yard again. Yeah, exactly. Hey, so you did something where I remember it was like getting more minor leaguers into the comp pool, but then restricting what we showed because, because when we put stuff in the books or on the site, I remember people were like, you know, wouldn't, would, I don't know if we did or not or changed it or what, but it was that don't, don't put guys who never made it to the major leagues in the comp list. Well, that was the the thing, the problem, if you will, early on is that we, weren't including any minor leaguers. Then we bought a bunch of um, minor league data. So we had more of that and that allowed more comps to minor leaguers. And we were including those not in the book because, you know, the book, you definitely do want people to recognize the names in there. And they only list three, but for the, for the online, we, you know, for the young players, you definitely need to, to list other minor leaguers. But then, then after that, we do the park factors. We do the defensive adjustments for the teams against pitchers, and that's um, that's about it. I, you know, more or less, we're I'm just taking Jonathan's output and you know figuring out how many runs a guy to allow and how many innings he's going to pitch, which comes off our depth charts if the guy's projected to be an active major leaguer. Let's um, let's talk about that for a little bit for the yeah. charts because i think um i've seen a little bit of chatter um i don't know i don't remember exactly where but th- about the depth charts how are they put together how like how how does that process work well, first of all if any listeners have suggestions on the depth charts the email is dc at baseballperspectus.com feel free to offer suggestions we read them all um we have 
one primary person entering them, and he's quite an expert at figuring out teams and who's going to play where. But the flip side is we also have you know the pool of all baseball prospectus staff and many baseball prospectus friends reviewing them and and offering their expert insights. So we've um, we've had dozens and dozens of people reviewing these and and sending them into Tim. And Tim mostly has done the updates. We have a couple other people now, and actually three, including myself, that sometimes will pinch hit and do the entries. But more or less, they're kept up to date by him. And this offseason has been an amazing challenge, as I'm sure it has for you know, everyone else who's trying to keep depth charts, because obviously so many players are still unspoken for. But... That's how it is, and we do do updates uh, frequently, so do email dc at baseballprospectus.com and let us know if you see something that needs to be, or you think needs to be updated ASAP. And, and I can see updates. if you actually it, We actually show where the depth chart updates have happened. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. There's a, a date on there. I forget what it was. We, we sometimes are seemingly a little slow, but at least one notable time there was a a trade announced that ended up not happening and, and Tim didn't enter it until it had become official, which it never did. So we never entered it. And all the other sites made the change and then unmade the change. Okay. I think it was in 2016. So it was a couple of years ago now, but it was a, uh, it's a big trade. We, we did a whole episode just Kendall and I at, at, after last season, looking at how much Pakoda and Rob, you helped us actually, you did the actual work. I think um, we're, the you know how much having actual playing time, you know, go getting into your time machine and putting those in as the beginning of season depth charts change standings. And we talked about how it was like some of these things were two or three games or more, yeah. which could make totally make a difference to playoffs. And then not too long ago, we I mean I don't know if it was on the, you know our own podcast here or if I was I was talking on a, another podcast recently and might have been on there I forget, but basically the idea was that this is changing a lot, like during this off season, like we're going to see full season depth chart impacts between opening, you know, last week and opening day. We already had one. Yeah. The Kane signing and the trade. Well, the, the, the Darvish signing even bigger. Yeah, Sorry, John. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta go big. Well, Milwaukee did two, two trades, a trade and a signing and pretty much the same day. So, but that didn't, but we hadn't published our depth charts. Did we? <laughs> True. So, yeah, Dar- Darvish moved the Cubs up uh, three games in the standings. So, I mean, this – like, we really – when you look at these depth chart standings, I mean, the whole caveat that I've been talking all, all winter is they're going to change by the end of the season because we don't know what the playing time is. We we really don't know what playing time is right now. Like, we, we – like, it, it's – there's a, there's something like 40 wins of talent still on the count, on counterforce, something like total. I think if you just put together the best team, it would be something like 35 wins or 30 wins, like an 84 win team. So, I mean, there's just, this is going to change. Yeah. I think Aaron you know? did an article on exactly that. He was asking me for advice and we came out with like 84 wins. Yeah. I think that's where I got that. I think so. This is going to change. Those those missing wins will be just redistributed, and you know, in the Cubs' case, adding Darvish pushed them a bunch, which was 
kind of stunning. So, but you know, let me ask a technical question um, of you, Rob. So when that happens, um, and, and I guess to Jonathan both, because we talk about, or you mentioned Jonathan, kind of the neutralized. This is this player. So specifically, Darvish. Like you have your kind of projections for Darvish himself, and then he gets kind of added to the Cubs, and they get everything gets pushed through the meat grinder, and and it comes out with ninety two wins. But um, does him signing with the Cubs affect kind of his own projections? And then what's two questions? And then from there, what's the process of um, when you update? and say, okay, the Cubs got Darvish. How do you take that from where we were? We updated the depth charts. Do you rerun Pakoda, the whole, the whole whatever system, and output these new um, Pakoda standings, or how does that work? So I'd say roughly speaking, there's three segments to the Pakoda process. And the first one for, you know, the good news for speed of, you know, updates is it probably doesn't need to be rerun all season or, well, I mean, we get rest of season updates on, you know, after we start doing those, but it all preseason, you don't need to rerun the neutral projections so that the stuff Jonathan provides is, you know, neutral, neutralized, and it's not, those aren't going to change. And the same for batters, there's a, you know, the whole initial baseline process and the neutralized portion and then also applying the comparables doesn't really change because the comparables are based on the neutralized stuff so then that's the second part of Pakoda is applying the the comparables and the park factors and the the team environment stuff and the comparables would be the second part that doesn't need to be redone either so only the third part needs to be redone and that's applying the park factors in the team environment. And that has a, you know, we've made that pretty quick. So, you know, Tim can just update the depth charts, click a button, and two minutes later we have a an actual update with the park factors changed and adjusted and everything. Okay, that's cool. And, and so I it... think that's interesting that, like, you know, point that our rest of season projections that we don't, don't include when, when so when we're projecting, you know, after 90 games, we think this player and this team, this is how they'll do over the next 70 games. That is not using the in-season information to augment the projection. It's still based on just the prior year's data than the neutralized data that was created for the beginning of the season. True? That's a little bit misstated. We actually Good. do use the in-season data. Okay. I'm just saying we, we start with the baseline of the neutralized stats. And I... I, I caught myself there. I started to say exactly what you just said, but but really for just the preseason, the neutralized stats don't need to be changed. And then onward, we, we do meld them in. And again, Pakoda's historically conservative, so you know, we, we sometimes catch, catch, a lot, catch a lot of grief about, you know, how little, you know, how slowly players' projections change for rest of season. I mean, Judge was on a historic home run pace last year, and not not you, Jonathan. <laughs> His True, projections weren't well. He was hitting a lot of home runs too, but you he's know the, the guy, he, the guy in New counting. York. He's doing home run accounting. Projecting, but the guy in New York, yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's healthy to be honest. That I mean, it should be slow. I mean, it's a projection system, 
and it's applying the same set of heuristics to everybody. So the comparables and, and the aging and the park factors, those are th- those are where you are more personally tuning for players and individualizing a projection. But that's a small part of 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 this kind of system. You know, when you're sitting down and saying how much are gonna, you know do I want this player on my team, you're going to do things a little more, you know. Well, depends on the guy and what you think he does and what his skills are and what are, you know what what is valuable about him. You may want to look at an even lower level. That's hard to do at a grand scale. So it's good to be conservative. It's and to me that that that's a good thing. It's a feature, not a bug. So I know people complain that we don't move quickly on some things, but that's okay. I think so. There are benefits. They don't get themselves in trouble trading for like some hot player. Well, I, think I should point out that I picked up Judge very early last season in one league, and it was a good, good decision. So. But then there's also like that it prevents like kind of the hot take, um, reactionary thing from the projection system itself. Like it's oh, not, yeah, like it's like oh goodness, like Eric Thames, like oh he hit what whatever thirteen home runs in two games, and, and so. That just totally, like I, totally skews his projection for the rest of the season. It's like, well, there's no way that he's going to keep that up. So. I, mean, I think there's a fundamental reason why, like, the breakout thing is is separate from. It. Sometimes it feels disjointed for people because it it may not look like they purchased. Like this guy's projected to have a high breakout, but his 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 stats don't get don't appear to be any better in your projection. Why is that? It's like, well, because the you know one is the, one is like, what's the median? projection one is like what's this group of comps and what's what's the shape of all his stats within those guys you know i think i'm getting what rob said right with and will that guy break out like that's like a separate question than projection and maybe you know that I, and our percentiles gets confusing sometimes where these things are, don't all match up but i think what rob kind of explained today kind of helps clarify that they're different but i think and they're different for a reason like one thing is like tailoring the middle of the road projection to a single guy is kind of a weird thing to do you don't want to do that you have a projection system that's broadly scoped but you can augment it with those other things that say oh this guy based on his comparables and that and shape of his stats that we can change what we put in as for the shape and we can improve what the comparables are so maybe we can get better at projecting breakthroughs yeah, I don't know if we actually go back and, you know, grade ourselves. So Maybe we should. I have a question about the breakouts. They've always kind of confused me too, and I think I'm not alone in that. But so no, you're definitely not. <laughs> so we've got like, so I'm I'm I've got the um, the hitters specifically pulled up right now, and there's a breakout. The highest breakout is 18. Is that like, so maybe let's let's try and help people understand what these numbers actually mean. So there's 18 is Jorge Mateos, um, who I honestly don't even know who he plays for. Does anybody know? Jorge Mateo, 23-year-old ah. shortstop. Ah, pass. <laughs> All right. Um, anyway, he's got a breakout of 18, so maybe we should get to know him. Um, and he's the highest. So a breakout means that there's a certain percentage of his stats improving a certain amount. Is that right? I I think, first of all, the number is 20%. Your ah. TAV improves by 20%. Okay. Um, 
So that's the, so the, the question. The question. Break, so that's the breakout is if your total average improves 20% from from the prior but, season. But New, not, okay. not yours. That's, that's the, sort of the misnomer here. That What it does is it takes his baseline and takes his comparables baseline and then takes the weighted average of the number of their TAVs, which improved 20%. So let's say it wasn't a weighted average. Let's say, and let's just say there were ten comparables, or a hundred comparables. So it would count each of those hundred comparables and say, did this guy improve twenty percent? Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes or no? All down one hundred. And eight, if eighteen of, and for him it's eighteen. So say eighteen of the hundred improved their TAV from their baseline by twenty percent or more, he would have an eighteen there. Okay. So and then my question is, have we ever gone back and said, taken a look at all the guys and all those numbers and said, did were we right? Because you know, back checking ourselves, like how how well did that work this year? How well did it work last year? There's an article think, idea for free for somebody right there. We'll have to pay someone to write it. I mean, <laughs> the idea is for free. <laughs> I mean, I don't think, but no, but it's kind of a question, actually. I don't think we've ever- I think I think automating that process would be great, and it seems like it would be easy to do. So, and yeah. it would probably give us impetus to learn about it, understand it, and improve it because uh, I bet it could be more useful because people seem more interested in it. Yeah. Then, then I don't feel like I don't feel like we've like put our attention to make it more robust. Like, there's been always been things like that we have like we go down the list of what we want to work on. Like, I feel like we we should be we should be paying more attention to those. Cause I think our, our, our subscribers pay more attention to those as I think about it. Yeah. Then we uh, give it a shake. And, and Ab- Rob, absolutely. Just, yeah, that's not cool. We should to, be better to, to follow up on that. Rob. So there's breakout, there's improved, there's collapse and there's attrition. All of those are calculated the same way. It's just, yes. The number of the comparables that, okay. that did some feet. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> got it. That's super helpful. And and the number of comparables like... that did some feet. I like that. That's now I can. Yeah, there you go. Awesome. It's it's yeah, a weighted. It's, it's a, a weighted. It's a weighted. Well, sure, yeah, I know. There's more magic, but yeah, you, of course. But yeah, that makes sense. Jorge Mateo is with Oakland. If I may, I I'd like to ask Jonathan if you're still there, Jonathan. <laughs> I'm okay. here. Have you elaborate? He's been very quiet ever since. Elaborate on a point you made in passing, because I, I know I find it super interesting, and I, I tend to think that probably a lot of people listening to this would also, if they're still around at the end here. You'd mentioned that you were rolling, you were looking at what influenced what made a good good reliever, and one of the things you looked at was fastball velocity, and you found that it didn't have a lot of impact. Is that yeah. something you can speak to? Because I, I I find that super interesting, and I again I think others will. Can, can I interject what yeah. my theory was on that though? I don't remember what your theory was on that. Did you have? A yeah, because it was that the variance has already been explained. Like it, I think it, that's right. Yeah, I mean I think the problem here is that you've got a lot of variables swirling around each other, and um, one of the big problems, especially given that the people were, I mean we. we there are two data sets here. There's the people that we sort of train the models on, which are sort of people who have been in the major leagues over the past couple of years. Um, and then there are 
the people were projecting it on. So you might only have several hundred people who are your who you're fitting to sort of you know tell you how these stats work on people, and then you have like another oh I don't know seven thousand <laughs> pitchers or so that you are then going to apply these rules to. So you you know you you don't have as big of a pool of people to um, to sort of evaluate, if you will. And um, so what what I have what what you what you have here is you have all these variables. They're all sort of explaining overlapping things. And so what you kind of have to do is we we call it regularize that. You have to sort of shrink those coefficients and sort of force you know force their unique parts to sort of kind of rise to the surface. Otherwise, all you're really doing is sort of explaining the same thing twice, and you can get some uh, some real garbage results. So, I mean, I think it's that. I think, yes, I think if your home run rate is low, you're obviously already, um, you know, probably throwing fairly hard or doing something on contact that's strange. I mean, whiff rate was already something that we were taking into account so that, you know, you're already somehow missing bats. Chances are that probably has something to do with your fastball velocity. So I think what it really came down to and what was really, it seemed to us, giving us a big boost in performance over, um, you know, over when we were comparing it to other projection systems was when we were starting to say, okay, what's the effect of just looking at this aspect of it? And, and it, between the whiff rate, between the home, the home run rates you've produced in the recent past, your ground ball rate, um, and then on top of it, the how often do you let a ball into play? Finally, I think those four components you know, with with regularization, with we had to kind of squeeze them a little bit. We didn't just throw them in there and see what happened. But by doing those four together, I think the the thing was that there just really wasn't a whole lot left for fastball velocity alone to explain. And that doesn't mean there isn't more pitch related stuff that could help. I'm absolutely confident there is. But you know, those were sort of the factors that were sort of to the extent that there are other things like fastball velocity that aren't included. I I think Harry's right that they are sort of being already incorporated just indirectly in other ways. I got one right. How about that? Uh, Jonathan, not to put you on the spot, but when were you planning on uh, providing, like, you know, and or maybe I'm putting Rob on the spot. I don't know, but when are we going to like publish uh, uh, confidence intervals on these things? Because it would be really cool to see that like on the standings if possible. I know people keep asking that us for that. So I figured we you know come on the podcast and ask you about it instead of and ambush me about it. Um, yes, correct. So, well, the, the, so it, it is actually, it is basically done. Um, the problem is that I have been working on this lengthy explanation of how it works and it's up to about 6,000 words now and including code. And it's, I just feel it's really important because I think this is, even though it's like maybe me and six other people who think this, I, I think it's like a really seminal, important concept to start uh, integrating into our statistics. And you really need to find a way to do it that that works and that is reasonably quick and that is actually consistent. And so writing that up has taken, I mean, it's it's taken a couple of weeks. I've been working on it and um, so I, my thought is I will actually finish the draft of the, I guess I'll call it a white paper, um, by this weekend. And then I'll spend a week in sort of peer review, 
um, which basically means having it torn to shreds on our Slack. Yeah, it's basically then, Greg and a couple other people just beating, <laughs> beating yeah, you beating, that, that's That's why I never really fear what Twitter has to say about something that I write statistically, because it's never anywhere near as bad as going through our own um, rejection process. Gauntlet yeah. review system. Yeah. Exactly. So, no, so I, I think I will finish it this weekend. I will um, spend the next week taking into account, in theory, people's comments. And then I would say the following Monday or so, it'll be done. I mean, the numbers are, I mean, the catcher framing numbers are done. I mean, they're they're sitting there. I mean, I have intervals around all of them. Um, and then once we do that, then you can immediately start taking that method and just start rolling it out from there to there to there. Now, the, I, I Heads don't- Heads up, Rob. <laughs> right, that's true, that's true. Um, now, I will say that you're not gonna see that around standings this year. You're not gonna see ah. it around offensive. I mean, I can't, because the problem is I can do that for say like DRA things and for pitching, but the only way I could do that for batting stuff is if we were to basically like rerun nightly update a bunch of times in a row and sort of, you know, take the draws of that and see how it works out. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think we can really do that right now. Um, Probably that would be kind of, not. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that for pitcher warp, we're going to be able to give you credible uncertainty intervals around them. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe we will be at a point this year where some of the DRA approaches can be brought over to the base running side and the batter side. And then once they're all sort of speaking the same language, then doing those intervals and um, applying them to the standings is not going to be a big deal. But uh, I think we probably have to do it for the pitching side and pitcher warp side first. Um, And then um, and then if we could do that without the whole house falling in on us, then Mm -hmm. we can roll it out from there. I mean, uh, we try to be at least somewhat modest in our goals um, because you know the as you know as rob knows that the sort of daily process of of doing anything is lengthy involves a lot of interlocking steps and bp has so much what's the polite word historical um statistical processes going on at any one time that you know you don't want to just completely go okay. in a direction. there's an operational it's not like just do more it's like well you know there's so many hours so many there's dependencies There's things have to be operationalized, basically. So it sounds like this is something that we could have in place 2019, though, which would be pretty darn cool. That would be like a major, major thing to give people is not just all this hand waving about, look how much the major signing can change things. Please don't yell at us on your radio show. Actually say this is how wrong we expect to be. Of course, uh, right. Of course, remember that, you know, Nate Silver tried to explain to people that they had like a 35 percent chance of the current white house occupant winning and people don't get that and they're still mad so yeah well i mean people are going to be the way they want to act but i i agree with you i will feel like a much better person when we are giving people that sort of blatant uncertainty instead of simply smiling at them and saying trust us don't don't these look nice Um, yeah which is essentially what we're all doing now yeah it's true and we talked about this on the the war podcast uh the war episode a few Mm -hmm. whenever that was three four episodes ago yes but to just to reiterate and so i can finally start to try and understand this this means um so for like pitcher warp like you were mentioning jonathan um let's say uh, you know whatever batances was is at projected at 
2.2, and let's say throughout the season he is at 2.2. Or is, no, you're talking about DRA. Sorry. See, I'm already off track. Um, so DRA. So he's two got, are inextricably linked. <laughs> perfect. That helps me. Well, almost. Um, so let's say whatever he has some DRA, and this would be able to you know these confidence intervals would be saying um, it's his DRA is 2.39 plus or minus whatever 0.2 or whatever the, that number is. And that's going to be based on um, what? And I know that you're going to go into extreme detail, 6,000 word detail, but can you kind of give a, <laughs> give a very sure. high level? So it's actually, so right. So basically what it is, is we sort of simulate um uh the basically a number of you, you take the data and you sort of r- randomly keep resorting it and then you just kind of keep track of the estimates that come through each time you sort of like shake up the box and the idea is if you shake it up a sufficient number of times i mean this is basically the same basic philosophy behind our sort of um you know our our sort of standings projections or rest of season projections, you know, where we just kind of keep picking random numbers and then you kind of keep track of everyone's average result. Um, this is something like that. It's, it's basically, it's going to be okay. If this were to be rerun, how many times, um, uh, you know, what would be your average result and then what would happen, you know, most of the time and what would happen maybe 10% of the time and maybe what would happen 5% of the time or whatever. And so you would basically, we would be publishing these intervals and we, we would actually not, they would not be confidence intervals. Um, that's kind of a, uh, the, the way we would do it is the problem with confidence intervals is that they're, they're useless. Um, they don't, they don't tell people what they actually want to know, which is, you know, where is the true number? Um, so we're going to be doing something, we're going to be using uncertainty intervals or credible intervals. And so they literally will mean if a person looks at that number, we are telling them that there is a, I don't know, a, a 70% chance or a 90% chance that the true value of this person is within that range. And um, which I think is how people interpret them anyway. So right. we might as well actually, um, my view is that we should actually give them what they think they're seeing instead of misleading them grossly into something else. And uh, so that that's going to be what it's going to mean. It's going to be, look, it's there is an X chance that um, this, you know, this person's value is between here. And so when you say that this person is a three and a half DRA uh, pitcher or this person is a 3.2 DRA pitcher, um, you know, it may well be, especially early in the season, that those intervals are going to be pretty wide. And there really is just not much of a difference between those two. So maybe you shouldn't get too upset or worried about your pitcher. Late in the year, I suspect there will be a pretty big difference between those two. And, you know, one of those people is is a sort of number two, three starter, and one of them is starting to be a number three, four starter. And um, so the, basically what you're doing is it's also another way of dealing with this kind of decimal point problem of, you know, what does this mean and how many decimal points should you go to and what does this mean anyway? And you will actually be able to look at and get a sense of whether these two players are actually different or not. And I think that's an improvement because right now you, they just we just give you a list of people, you know, down to like two decimal points, and we sort of just wave the cape, and and everyone says, oh, well, that that that's what it is, I guess. And now you will actually be able to look at any two players or group of players and say, are these people actually different or not? Right. I think I think the cape is a little 
much. Is it a satin <laughs> cape? <laughs> <laughs> Only for subscribers. Ah. <laughs> Perfect. It's nice. a true, with the nice. super premium subscription, you get the bat signal and the satin cape. That's true. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Well, well thank you guys for uh, thanks you guys for coming on. Uh, this was very informative for me. I know, um, and I think kind of seeing what is behind the cape, as it were, behind Jonathan's cape, uh, and how Pakoda is built and works uh, is really interesting, and, and I think will be proof helpful to. Um, the folks who are actually going to be taking this information and, and trying to consume it in some meaningful way. So, Jonathan and Rob, thank you so much for all of your hard work on Pakoda, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Nights in white satin Never reaching the end Letters I've written Okay, thanks for coming back. We uh, again thank Jonathan and Rob for coming on. And That's good. Um, yeah, so Pakoda is available. Uh, the standings are available to the public, mm-hmm. and if you want to download the weighted means spreadsheet. I think I got the name right. Yeah, um, I wish we could call it that. I mean, it's just that's it's just this. It's Pakoda. It's Pakoda. It's a spreadsheet of all the Pakoda projections for yeah. hitters and pitchers, and mm-hmm. that is available to annual, premium, and super premium baseball prospectus subscribers. Correct. You um, have to have a yearly subscription. Yes. So. Head to baseballprospectus.com and go to the subscriptions page and sign up if you're not already subscribed and um, check it out. Yeah, it includes all the stuff we talked about. Their projections uh, gets updated, you know, through the season, I think. And then there's also the breakout and nutrition and all those numbers also come in there and comparables. So it's it's a lot of information that you can also find in the book. Yes. The, Hot selling baseball prospectus 2018 annual, the new cover design. Number one, seen a lot of pictures on, on Twitter. Com. Looks good yet. It's selling in, in the baseball category. Uh, it is looking good on people's shelves. I have yet to get mine. I guess I didn't actually buy one. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for my freebie. Tick, um, tick <laughs> talk. Me too. But um, um, I also I, I also ordered one. I also I also I also uh, snuck. I don't know how sneaky it is now that I'm saying this. But it's like, what are the free copies that we need to have the publisher send out? And it's like writers and front offices. And I snuck in my coffee sh- right here at coffee shop. There you go. So you can get it <laughs> when you go grab a cup of coffee. Exactly. So even if mine you know, doesn't come, I can go you know, have an espresso and and read it. It's going to be some really good stuff in there this year. I'm pretty excited. So hopefully it comes soon. Indeed. So um, while we're still... Oh, I, I, yeah. We One thing we I want to... Look at my all-star team. I made yes. a Pakoda all-star team, and no one seems to care. I care. Okay. Kind of. No, I do care. No, you do. Okay, so this is like basically just warp projection. So this is playing time, caveats, and everything. This is from And playing time might be out of date, because I think this is actually a February 9th. And I think our, uh, our playing charts are February 15th. So this my all-star team might be wrong already. But it, it would include its center field, Mike Trout, a designated hitter, Joey Votto. And Votto was selected as a designated hitter because 
his true average is projected to be 313, second best in the league. But he doesn't have the best warp of first baseman. That's Goldschmidt. Are these? So, the, is this your batting order too, or is this? It also be yes. This okay. would be because I if because I would I would bat my team by by true average because I am a lazy manager, and that's I actually sorted it just by true average, just you know to get it like first look, and I'm like this this is good, and I left it. Yeah. So it's Trout is our center fielder is the most valuable player in baseball. Also has the highest true average projection of 334. So he's like 20 points over everybody else. Amazing. Dude's yes. amazing. I mean, come on. He's 20 points better hitter than Votto. <laughs> and he plays center field. <laughs> and he can run. This is, and he's, he's very, what, he's very good at baseball. Six? How old is he now? I don't know. No, he's not. Maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know. Someone tell us. Um, he's very young. Uh, so then Goldschmidt, who, I guess his defense uh, comes out ahead of Votto on warp, but it's just a few points behind on true average, but he's right up there. Next up is Chris Bryant, our top-rated third baseman, and the last hitter on the list here with a 300 or higher true average, Just FYI. There are other hitters who have that, but they didn't qualify on warp. Votto's the only guy who got to get in solely on true average again. So then here we go. Our right fielder is Mookie Betts. Second baseman is Altuve. Our catcher is Buster Posey. Shortstop is Trey Turner. And batting ninth, the left fielder, Jonas Cespedes. Now, you probably wouldn't pick Cespedes to be on that. But in terms of what position we have them listed under, he's the first left fielder to show up. I mean, you could move Harper or something, you know, whatever. But I thought that was kind of funky. Pretty good lineup. Yeah. Like, crazy good. But... It's kind of funny. There's no like, I mean, no offense to Cespedes, but there's no like elite guy playing left field. And is that you know, is that normal? I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um... I don't know, but that's just maybe. I don't know. Maybe it is. That's a good question. We have to look at that maybe for next week. My rotation is Sale, Kershaw, Kluber, Scherzer, Severino. <laughs> Again, that's pretty good. good. <laughs> that's really good. I'm kind of happy at sales our number one projected pitcher because I just I just think keep thinking like this you know he's he's so good and he picks up so many innings and he's just so dominant. And then uh, Dallin Batansis comes up as the best relief pitcher, um, and my understanding now is that is because his warp is just a little bit higher than. Kenley Jansen, so he just has a little bit of edge. So it's like within the margin of error type of stuff. But it's weird because his DRA isn't as good as Jansen or Kimbrell. But he comes out ahead of them, and even and he doesn't really have that much of a uh, workload advantage. But I guess it comes down to his league replacement, you know, level and things like that. Like he's just expected to perform at a better level, even though he's not facing any pitchers and things like that. So it's kind of strange. It's one of those oddities, I think, in Pakota maybe. Um, and makes me think about, you know, as we kind of talked about at the end of the segment with the guys that there's all these, there's so many things that can be addressed and done, but there's only so many you can do. But I just, I just look at some of these and I think sometimes like there's gotta be something underneath there that we can tune. Like that's like a, right. it's like a major problem. Like Batons is coming up just a little bit ahead despite, the, you know, and so it might be counterintuitive. It might be totally correct. It's like, but it's like, just makes me wonder. It's like, how do we, you know, 
Because that's something I know that we're different from other projection systems with too, like how we do replacement level by league and things like that. So, yeah, I thought one thing that Jonathan said that was super interesting um, was, um, you know, not wanting to have too many moving parts in terms of of kind of focusing on pitching this right. year, and mm-hmm. uh, so that kind of just leads to it's too incremental it's change. Pronged. I mean, it's like right, we it's like there's only so many people, you know. You can only extend your resources so far, but also there's a fundamental like what changed. This is this is a it's like you know you don't want to change too many things at once. Also, from terms of presenting a product, but um, knowing what the impacts are all the way downstream, like it's not you don't you know working through the theories, working through the problems. It's usually good to go down one path, get all the way down it. And then branch off, and you know, go back to the trunk again, and, and fix and, and tune. It's like it's that's iteration, but to completion of something worth having. So yeah. saying we're going to overhaul all of Pakoda is like you'll never do it. Right. It's like trying so to build a, a new website. You know, it, sometimes it takes seventeen years. <laughs> it does. It's got to have the right people. You got to have the right people. There you go. Yeah, you got to have the right people at the right decade. But yeah, so Pagoda is a complicated thing. And so hopefully we can demystify that and continue to do that because I think by, by Jonathan and Rob, like working on things like this, it does elaborate what's, what's happening. And I mean, I certainly enjoy hope listening to them talk about it. So I hope, I hope other people do too. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot um, of institutional knowledge with those two guys. And so it's, it's kind of a pleasure to hear them wax about. And Jonathan's a, Jonathan's a self-taught statistician. That is bonkers to me. Yeah. So, yeah. So super fun to have them on. I'm sure that both of them will um, be, be guests again. And uh, they're oh, both yeah. former guests. So friends of the podcast for sure. Officially. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, this isn't necessarily, well, I guess not at all. Um, stats focused but Sam Miller wrote an awesome piece today I think it came out today um, on ESPN about would you as a normal person play in a baseball game a major league baseball game that counted have you read this yet no I saw people talking about it it's it's really good it's I mean typical it's very Sam um, Sam. and it's brilliant (laughs) Um, he's so good, but it was, I mean, it's really interesting because he talks about it as, um, would you do it for one game and then would you do it for like a week and then would you do it for a whole season? And it's interesting because throughout the article he asks, like there's a poll, um, that says, would you do it? And at first everybody is like, yeah, like when I took it, it was like 93% or something like that. Yes, of course I would play in a major league game. And then it kind of steadily gets lower and lower as he kind of outlines all of the uh, pitfalls and the the reasons why you would totally stop like ridicule and failing over and over and over and over and over again. And uh, I just thought it was really a fun article. And I also would 100% play in as many Major League Baseball games as I possibly could. And I do not care how ridiculous and foolish I would look because I think it would just be just a thrill. And I, I don't think that any of the uh, negative aspects of it would, would dissuade me. 
What about you, Harry? What do you, would you? I'm uh, gonna. I, I that is my going in thought, but I, I'm gonna go through. I'll do, I'm gonna go through the exercise. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's fun. It's a fun one. So definitely check that out. I will. Um, I'll add an that excuse, to the show notes and, too. and an excuse to go read something Sam wrote. Like you need one. Yes, he's the goods. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I think that that is probably going to be just about it for this week. Um, yeah. We have talked Pakoda, and um, I'm sure we'll revisit and talk about it kind of as the season goes but also um pretty fun this week pitchers and catchers are reporting so we get to see windbreakers and windbreakers yes and long socks long socks and and light exercise and communal mounds baseball is upon us so that's exciting so instead of saying goodbye baseball we should say hello baseball Mm. goodbye baseball 